Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Plenty to discuss today as we begin our number two. Glad you're with us across the Outkick Network. Hutton and Withrow with you. Tom Brady announces his retirement. We've been discussing that over the first hour. We'll get back to it. We also have plenty to discuss in the head coaching searches where two openings remain. Craziness across uh, free agency that will begin with uh, quarterbacks. Jimmy G is not returning to San Francisco. They've made that perfectly clear. Uh, through uh, general manager and, and head coach uh, comments today. And uh, Clay Travis joins us in hour number three with perspective on all the big headlines today and earlier this week. Um, and the perspective of Sean Payton getting traded, the contract getting traded from New Orleans to the Denver Broncos, a lot of the focus, and rightfully so, is on Payton and Russell Wilson. But what about from the New Orleans perspective? Play-by-play voice of the Saints is Mike Haas. He joins us as we kick off our number two on Outkick 360. Mike, thank you for the time, man. No, anytime. It's been a crazy couple of days, One, neither of which we kind of expected. We thought Sean was going to get a job. Then we didn't think he was going to get a job. And then, boom, he goes. And then Tom Brady this morning. So busy couple of days those two seem to be linked together yeah uh yes just just a bit yeah right uh, and and i think everyone would have taken the odds on they're linked together in the league somewhere instead of one retiring one going to work in denver in, instead of dallas or miami point being um how much of this topic has dominated new orleans sports talk either on wwl there or just in the the fan discussion that you have I, i'm curious how much of it is surrounding Sean Payton? It started after a very poor start. So after a poor start and the Saints got off to a rough start, three and seven, four and seven, four and eight, and then you're going, wow, we can't finish four and 13. That benefits us none. So it it became an issue during the season because they got off to such a rough start and didn't really, until they got that three-game winning streak, kind of made their record better. But it was always kind of out there that, good gosh, this could be a catastrophe. You lose Drew, then you lose Sean, and then you have your worst record probably since Sean, and you get nothing for it because you traded up to get Chris Olave. So it's been a huge topic of discussion. And then when the season ended, it was I've never seen a city more involved in a coach, a beloved coach, getting a job somewhere else as quickly as possible for as much as possible. As Sean Payton. Did New Orleans get in return what you believe they were originally asking for? Probably not, but I think the market, it probably ended up being fair. I don't think as 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 fans and in, in this position that we're thrilled about giving away the third round pick mm-hmm. might seem like, you know, kind of small potatoes in this, but the key was getting the first. You know, this the Saints had a pretty good draft coming up in 23, so now they have – 29, which was 30, ironically, because of Miami and Tom Brady and Sean Payton. So it's the 29th and the 40th. So they have two out of the top 40. 
They have a you know rest of the way through. They're pr- looking pretty strong. They'll probably get a compensatory pick. So now twenty three looked look, looked initially like wow, this is going to be really tough. Now it becomes a pretty strong draft year, uh, and they need it. What were these last two years like? These years of transition, you know, without without Drew Brees, and then without Sean Payton, and then everything just felt so normal in New Orleans for so long with Payton and Brees. And now going through this transition, where do you feel like the franchise is now? And what was it like calling games for this organization given that transition? Well, you have to remember, I'm relatively new at this. So 2021 was my first year. So end of the Drew Brees era, goodbye. Second year, end of the Sean Payton era, goodbye. (laughs) So I'm kind of done. I'm over with these new eras. Uh, And it's, it's enough. This is year three. And now it's the new, it's the Dennis Allen era. I think the the tricky part with this football team is, one, in this fan base, they get very uh, spoiled with winning. I, I mean, enormously spoiled. 13-3 and three meant nothing around here. And this is, you know, a team that prior to Sean Payton had, didn't win a playoff game until they beat the Rams in 2000, 2001. Uh, when the actual game was so 17 playoff appearances every year was in the playoffs and you expected to win the Super Bowl and really should have probably in the 18 season or the 19 season or the 20 season. And so they became very used to winning. And so this was all new. We were, we were just like the rest of the teams, right? In 2021 through his first year out, we started four different quarterbacks. The only team in the NFL to start four well, this is the Saints. We also started four different kickers. That means anything in 2021. So we instantly became, whoa, we're like everybody else. And this sucks. And it's been tough. And you lose, uh, you know, Jameis Winston early in this year, in the past uh, 2022 in game three. And then you go to Andy Dalton and we don't see Jameis again. But the interesting thing to me was towards the end of the season, when they didn't play Jameis, who was healthy, was kind of like, are we going to do this again next year? Right? Is this is this what we're looking at with 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 Andy and Jameis? Because at that time there wasn't that first round pick, and even if you have one, it's going to be so late. It's not a very strong quarterback group. So it, it has been very very tough to be the first no Drew, no Sean after fifteen years of just you know seven NFC South titles, playoffs. It was it had become commonplace. Mike Haas is the play-by-play voice of the New Orleans Saints joining us on Outkick 360. So um, you mentioned the quarterback situation. You've got Andy Dalton, whose contract expires. He had a one-year deal. Jameis signed a two-year deal, so there's still a year left. But the transition now with the first-round pick, there will be some quarterback movement as well. Uh, Your thoughts on the direction they can take, and do you buy the Jimmy G connection in New Orleans that people are trying to make based on what Pete Carmichael might do with his offense? I think, you know, we, we enjoyed buying the Lamar Jackson uh, story earlier <laughs> yeah. at the end of the season a little better. Uh, I, I think – I don't think Jameis will be around. I don't – even though he's got a year left on his contract, it just didn't feel like that was the right fit. Uh, even though Andy had played efficiently, which was exactly what Dennis called it, efficient. And, you know, I think we'd kind of – the bar had been a little higher than just plain efficient – Prior to that, I think they're going to have to go out and find somebody other than than Andy. You've still got Taysom, but he's not your starter, but he's going to play some at quarterback. It just feels like the 
the Jameis Winston uh, situation didn't play out well at the end of this year, and it, it would feel weird to go right back into this co- competition uh, next training camp with Jameis and, and Andy. So I, I do believe there'll be another veteran player, whether it's Jimmy G, uh, who knows, Derek Carr, any, any of these guys that are out there. There's a lot of them out there. I've looked at the list, and it is it's a lot like Derek Carr, Jimmy G, Andy Dalton, Jameis Winston. Uh, so it's, and I looked also at the list for teams that wanted quarterbacks in the draft, like the first twelve yep. of needs yep. quarterback. So it's not uh, it's not a good match. Do do you like uh, one over the other in terms of veteran quarterbacks that are out there, especially with the possibility of Aaron Rodgers getting traded? It, that's just you know I tell you the Aaron situation because to me the Saints were in a weird situation even with Drew's in twenty twenty one, which by the way if Drew had said goodbye in 2021, Tom Brady would have been here, not Tampa. But this team has been so solid and they've become so good defensively, it has not felt like they were in a blow-up mode. In fact, they weren't in a blow-up mode. And just because Sean left, there weren't a ton of changes on the coaching staff. It wasn't like, well, we weren't in a blow-up mode prior to you leaving. They weren't then. And, you know, every team gets hit by injuries. But this team was just ravaged by injuries, ravaged by turnovers. So, I don't know if there's one guy out there that is on the top of any list. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, to me, because I do think this is a good football team still. This defense proved it towards the end of the season. You know, that's kind of what they're what they're in. They're not in a in a complete blow up, but maybe the, in the next two years they better do something. So I kind of you know if financially, of course, is also the trouble. They're seventy million over the cap which is actually better than they've been the last two years. <laughs> so, um, you know, I feel like that position will – that position, the quarterback room will look somewhat different. I can see Taysom and Andy staying around, uh, but Andy is the backup. But I do feel like they're going to have to do something. And they're going to have to draft somebody somewhere along the way. So uh, the storyline with Sean Payton and what he was needing from Denver and the the, the report that there was some disagreement on the, the power – play that either he needed assurance of from the ownership there or whatever it had to do with his role in Denver. Knowing the the behind the scenes like you do there in New Orleans, what what is Peyton like behind the scenes and what he requires? His his relationship with Mickey Loomis, uh, very good to the point where he met with him uh, a couple weeks ago to discuss what it would take to get the contract traded to another team. That's when we really knew that Peyton wanted to coach again and immediately. Um, what what's Denver getting? What do you believe that the the real point of contention was where he ultimately accepts the deal? Well, he wants, like all NFL coaches, he wants control as much as he can humanly get. He is a control, I hate to use the word freak because it's not really fair, but he is a control person. He wants control of everything. He dips his, his, his fingers into a lot of the parts of the organization and uh, he does it a little bit by fear. Um, and so I know that he it's going to be, I think, for Denver's purposes. And I, one of my good friends who was in my wedding is a sports anchor in Denver. And I texted him last night. I go, dude, you're in for a ride, baby. It's going to be interesting. Uh, Sean's great. You get along well. I mean, I didn't give you a ton. But I do believe when you look at he, this ownership group, and that's exactly what he got when he got to New Orleans in 06. And Tom Benson was there then, and he was not used to having an open pocketbook. But they gave Sean 
whatever he needed to do. They became, instead of the Marriott Courtyard, they became a five seasons, a four mm. seasons, right? And he built a winning culture here that had not been here before. You can win. And the Saints had won off and on during Jim Moore. But he built a winning culture here to the point where people expected it. And he did that with control. And he did that with kind of changing, uh, having the ownership have his back uh, at all times. And it started in 2006. And uh, it continues today. We haven't discussed over the last, what, season, Chad, you and I, Dennis Allen, all that much. Yeah. You know, it's been about the former coach, not the current coach. Kind of out of sight, out of mind in yeah. a weird way. What what has he been like behind the scenes, Mike? And uh, in, in terms of head coach Dennis Allen paired with coordinator Pete Carmichael, is the, in terms of the immediate future, they've got to put together a plan that allows them to win at a level that they can win this division based on what we saw this year in the division itself. Can they do that this offseason? I think so. I, they were, I mean, there was, it's not like they weren't have not been together. Dennis mm-hmm. Allen's been around this organization, you know, two separate occasions. I think what'll end up, and they just lost Ryan Nielsen uh, uh, to a- Atlanta. I think what'll end up happening is Dennis will know. Will, will he'll be the head coach? He won't call the defensive plays, and Pete will have. I mean, I felt like Pete pretty much had full reign last year uh, from an offensive standpoint. They've got a lot of young talent. I don't think we're going to see Mike Thomas around this facility beyond March 17th. So Dennis is Dennis. He is a super nice guy. He is, you're right. Uh, Let's put it this way. In training camp, I would have to look for him out on the field. You didn't hear him. You didn't see him. You didn't know where he was. You'd have to physically look for him out on the field. Now, that's not a knock on him and he gets knocked on because he's not firing he doesn't run up and down the sidelines and screaming yeah i think he's a good coach but i think last year given a a kind of a three-headed defensive coordinator role with him calling the plays and i felt i feel like maybe and he talked about it during the season that he might take a step back and and look at maybe not calling the plays but didn't but I, i think that might happen this year um, and we'll learn, we'll learn more. I mean, Dennis, Dennis is who he is. He is not going to change. He's soft-spoken. He's, he's nice. He's humble. Now in the locker room, he gets fiery, but for the most part on the sidelines, you know, he's, he's different. If it weren't for the pen and the visor, yeah, I don't think you'd, you'd have a hard time finding it. Mike Haas is the play-by-play voice in the booth with Deuce McAllister for the New Orleans Saints radio broadcast team. Uh, Mike, tell Mike to tell you, we said hello, if you don't mind. Uh, down I certainly there the are. He's the best. Yes, he is. And uh, we really appreciate the visit here with the perspective from the New Orleans stance compared to what we're hearing out of Denver. Yeah, well, they got some changes coming in Denver. It's a good thing, but uh, it's uh, there's a new uh, sheriff in town, and he's going to run <laughs> his show. And uh, quite frankly, his show's done pretty well. So uh, best of luck to you guys, and I'll tell Mike you said hello. Yeah, man. Appreciate you. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate good it. Good to visit with you. Mike Haas, uh, play-by-play voice of the Saints. A lot to get to today, Chad. One of them, uh, the NFL is rigged uh, response, right? With all of the conference championship calls, flags, missed calls, eye in the sky, not able to uh, signal to the, the white hat in the NFC championship game about the Devontae Smith catch. They get to the line, they snap it too fast. We've got the guy coming on that can explain the mechanism behind what happened on championship weekend and what we should expect from the all-star crew in Super Bowl 57. Plus, 
the USFL, what changes are coming to some of the rules that we saw implemented and some of the rules that the NFL was paying attention to last spring? Mike Pereira, NFL rules analyst for Fox Sports. He joins us next on Outkick 360. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer. With over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros, Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back. And their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless. From researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience, Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. Love whenever we have the chance to uh, visit with our next guest. Welcome back. Outkick 360 across the Outkick Network. Mike Pereira, Fox Sports NFL Rules Analyst. He is the head of officiating as well for the USFL, which returns this spring. The hubs have been announced. We'll get to that coming up. Mike, hope you're doing well. I am doing great, and it's always been great being with you guys. So um, good to see you. Absolutely. Uh, before we get started on the rules and uh, conference championship weekend, and this NFL is rigged crowd, what's the <laughs> what's the what's the top Brady story that comes to mind for you in your interactions with him? <laughs> you know, somebody asked me that this morning, and I said, you know, the only thing I can really remember is I was at Foxborough in the stadium, and um, he came out before the game as he does and did like a sprint of a jog, I should say, around the field. And I didn't know Tom Brady from Adam. I mean, I never met him. I obviously knew who he was. And as he was running around, he was running by me and he looked at me as he ran by and said, hi, Mike. And it made my day. Mm. I mean, that was like, (laughs) I mean, that's like my most memorable thing. It's like Tom Brady actually said hello to me. I had (laughs) no idea that he even knew who I was. And, um, you know, as people have said that, uh, you know, he is a great guy, but I really haven't spent any time with him uh, yet. Don't know if I will, but, uh, you know, we'll just see what's coming up. Whenever you were the voice for all officials in the NFL, Mike, uh, you, Dean Blandino, who replaced you, we we had a voice. We had a, a voice of reason in a week like this off of the weekend, off the Sunday, where there were so many calls and reaction to it from the fan perspective. How would you have handled Monday morning? with the media and with fans, if you were still in that position? Well, I'd have to go to Roger Goodell first and say, do you want me to talk to the fans and the media and um, and see what he has to say, what he would have to say. I will have to say that since Dean and I, there's been kind of a clampdown um, mm-hmm. on the, you know, the interview process that comes out of the officiating department. Um, and I don't think that's healthy. Uh, you know, people are so invested in the game now, whether it is, 
their hometown team, their fantasy team, their bet, whatever. That, um, you know, I think they need to know, deserve to know, um, you know, what happened. And and if they can understand the rules better and understand the circumstance, then, you know, I think it's better off. But to be kind of closed mouth is uh, is pretty difficult. Now, I think if it was me, you know, my, my impression was that the 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 week the championship games were just messy. I can't think of really a better word other than messy. I I in particular didn't have a real problem with the calls. I just I just had a a concern with you know how they went about this and how it made officiating look. Whether it was the awarding of another play to Kansas City because of a clock malfunction why did that happen i mean it really never was truly explained why it did happen why did we not get a replay review on the devonta smith catch on fourth down on the first series um in philadelphia eagles against san francisco there's there's a reason for most things that something falls outside of just judgment and you know judgment is judgment i mean that's it's it's hard to to necessarily take side when it's judgment but when it comes to mechanics and processes and things like that so it's really reared their heads this weekend i think i would have addressed both of those two issues right away um and and then see if it calmed the storm a little bit mike speaking of mechanics and processes i i've noticed refs going further and further to stop a play that's dead, that's ruled dead. I've seen officials step in between the snap and the holder on a kick to not let them get up a practice kick if the play, if there's a timeout called or anything like that. Um, and I heard a couple times, well, the crowd noise is really bad, so they had a hard time stopping the play. But I don't see that as a common issue across both the NFL and college football. Is that more common that than, we, than we're aware of, of the, the inability to stop the play because of crowd noise? when you're trying to blow a play dead? Because there's a lot of player safety concerns if half the t- half the players know the play's dead and half don't if the play continues. Yeah, I, I don't think it's an issue. I mean, it, that obviously comes about from awarding Kansas City another play against Cincinnati, what happened there. And I think I think what we're going through is we've the officiating department and the league itself – has taken a positive step with what they call expedited reviews and video assists. So they're able to correct things, correct mistakes that are made in pretty close to real time. Um, I think we're all for that, but there are some issues that still go along with it. And I think that's what happened, for example, in the play with Kansas City, where it seemed like they ran a play, um, but then they voided the play and the reason was because and really they created their own issue with this video assistant. The video assistant said, move the ball a half a yard, that the, the spot was off by a half a yard and the play clock was already beginning to run down. Um, yeah, that's right. They missed the spot by a half a yard, but it was third and nine. It wasn't like it was third and a half yard. Right. It's, it was insignificant then, which led to this series of having a hard time getting the play shut down. Um, not all the officials realizing that the clock was running when it shouldn't have been. And then, of course, what happens? You 
you know, you you have another play, you shut it down, and then you know you you kind of look. Sometimes you want to be lucky when you have a an issue. Well, they sacked Mahomes, so it really wasn't going to give him a better another play. But guess what? There was a defensive holding, so they got an automatic first down. I think we have to be a little concerned about overuse of expedited reviews and video assistance when it came to the Devonta Smith catch in that first series. In the Eagles game, I mean, it is the way the rule it set up, is set up that the offense can run up and snap the ball as quickly as they can because the play clock start, starts automatically um, after the play is over. So Philadelphia rushes to the line. Nobody gets a chance to find the one angle that shows that the pass was incomplete. We didn't at Fox. Um, New York didn't to initiate an expedited review. And, you know, Shanahan, either for the 49ers, he didn't get a look, and it led him not to challenge. So, you know, that that whole thing just seems like it's a bit unfair to let such a critical call go unreviewed like that. So um, it's it's just, you know, when you think of the fact and, and what makes, you know, games messy. I mean, when you have to stop to try to look to see if a ball hit a guide wire, you know, when you have to stop because the chains broke and you have to get a set of backup chains for the second time in the playoffs and unravel the the backup set of chains, it just it just was messy and it is ended up causing a lot of conversation. Um, but the games aren't fixed. We all know that that the games aren't fixed, but they seem like it to you if your team seems to be the brunt of many of the decisions and um, you either lose your bet or you lose your your fantasy team takes a loss but um you know it's just it just wasn't it just wasn't a clean looking championship weekend mike pereira our guest on outkick 360 are the best officials now in the media because it pays better <laughs> are the best officials in the media i mean it was it was actually um aaron rodgers i think who made that comment who said the reason that the uh, officiating struggle because you know their best white hats mm-hmm. you know have gone to the networks because they they pay more money well um let me let me just say this um i was the first and i wasn't even a white hat and and i was only on the field for two years before i went into the office blandino's never officiated a game in his life i mean he he made one key call in one game that he thinks merits him all of the qualifications <laughs> the big king king referee and that one call that he made was in a beach pro bowl <laughs> football game um, on a on a tight sideline catch you could say the same for macaulay and you certainly could say the same for perry and you could say the same for um Sterator. um you know he has a point um i i certainly didn't leave it for the money um and and Blandino, maybe there's a point there from his administrative side in leaving. But the fact is, I do think that officials are underappreciated, and I think they are underpaid for the magnitude of the of the game, and especially when it comes to the administrative side. You know, Art McNally, who got into the Hall of Fame, 24 years he was the head of officiating. Um, Jerry Seaman, 10. Um, me, I was there for 12. And since there nobody since then, nobody's been there longer than three. There's no continuity. And there needs to be more continuity. And I think there needs to be more value put on the position. 
given your profile and status, talking about officiating, Mike, do you see yourself as an advocate for officials everywhere at every level when you talk to anyone and you're talking about the process of officiating? Because we know there are issues finding officials at every level of almost every sport in America right now. So is that something that's important to you? It, it's like critically important to me. It's more important to me than what I do with Fox, quite frankly. Um, I have a foundation that gives scholarships to veterans to become sports officials in their communities. In the last five years now, we've given 800 scholarships around the country um, to get our veterans back doing something, awesome. getting them involved in the team again. I'm working on a program here in Sacramento now with a local high school football team and taking their seniors who aren't going to move on to play football at the community college level or above and trying to keep them involved in the game. I mean, these are young men, and and I'm going to do it for all sports, but it's young men in the case of football at this point who've been playing football probably since they were 10 in the youth leagues. And now they've had coaching, discipline, teams, all this stuff. And now what happens to them? And I try to work this through the coach. What are we concerned about where these kids are going to go when they lose this regimen of practice and games? And so we're recruiting them to become officials, young men to become officials and women in um, in sports. And, and so I, it's it's what drives me now. It's what drives me is to look at the big picture of officiating and and try to address the shortage, and then equally try to address the reputation. I mean, it's so easy to bash them, but these are quality people. I mean, these are people who have the guts that all these people that bash them don't have. These are people that put their butts on the line, you know, when they know that they're going to get criticized. And so we've got to change somehow the the way that people treat them and the abuse that they have to go through and the lack of respect that they have um because in reality and nobody really wants to admit to it but it's true i mean you don't have officials you don't have a game i mean that's just the way it is and poor high schools right now are having to play on thursdays saturdays because they don't have enough officials to officiate all the games on friday that's how dire the situation is so yeah that's my that's my huge concern Mike, final thing on the on the current status of officiating. Uh, Carl Sheffers is the white hat for Super Bowl 57 with the all-star crew. Can you take us through the short version of how they go about choosing the all-star crew with which referee will be wearing the white hat for, for the Super Bowl? Yeah, it, it, it's not, not too complicated, but they're graded with everything they do. I mean, they're practically graded for when they go to the bathroom during the pregame <laughs> or pregame meeting. Um, so that's it's a it's just a matter of how they grade out over the course of the year, not only just with their calls on the field, but it's their rules knowledge by way of tests, their physical ability, all the stuff, all kind of factors into a grade. And then you either end up in the top tier second tier, the third tier, or it could be fourth and fifth tier. You don't want to be on fourth and fifth tier because if you're on fourth and fifth tier, that's your first step on the way to being sent home um, for the rest of your officiating career. So you go to the first tier and who qualifies for the first tier? It might be five guys. And then you look and you say, okay, who hasn't officiated? If all of these five have, who's had a 
last, and then you say, okay, here's our guy. And in this case, it's Carl's Cheffers, who is a very accomplished referee, his third one that he's going to have. Um, California guy whose father was a great official and a great teacher. People say, well, Cheffers' crew led the league in the number of penalties called this year, which is true. But this is not Cheffers' crew. I mean, this is an all-star group. And, and uh, you know, I, I happen to be a crew guy. I think you should advance crews, guys that work together all year long. I think they should move together through the playoffs, but that's not the way it works. Um, it's it's the best officials, not necessarily the best officiating. But, um, I, you know, I just hope that we, you know, end the game in Arizona on Sunday and that we pick up the papers on Monday and go on all the talk shows and listen to the talk shows. And I hope we don't hear one stinking word about Carl Cheffers um, or anybody else on his crew um, or anything about officiating, um, period. You know, it's a, it's a funny thing. I always consider it's not funny. But I always considered this the most important game, the Super Bowl, for a different reason when it comes to officiating. If you screw up the, the Super Bowl or people think that you screw up the Super Bowl, they're going to remember that through the whole offseason. Um, if you have a good game in the Super Bowl and you go unnoticed, then the previous stuff kind of drifts away. And so based on what happened this past Sunday, a lot of pressure on them, a lot of pressure on them, but they've got – Good experience coupled with a couple of new guys, and and I think they'll be fine. We're headed to season two with the USFL, and we've got hubs announced officially. Birmingham, Memphis, Canton, Ohio, and Detroit. Um, and I'm assuming we'll have some adjustments to some rules because I know you're all about implementing other things that you couldn't do in year one as you got things off the ground. What are we looking forward to this spring with USFL from your department? Well, not, it's interesting, not a lot. Of course, it changes now with four hubs. So we're going to be playing in four different locations. So I've had to add officials and, um, um, which is fine. The group that we basically have is 80% of it is made up of officials that are on the NFL developmental list. Um, we looked at the rules and we were pretty pleased with what was last year. We were still a little bit concerned about game times, especially now in the hub format you're going to have the possibility of one game playing into another. So we wanted to, if we could guarantee that we played them in a three hour window. So last year we wound the clock after incomplete passes in the first and third quarters, which sped up our game. We thought it was a good change, but still we think it wasn't quite enough. So we're going to, we're going to wind the clock. And um, in the second and fourth quarters also after incomplete passes up until the five-minute mark of the quarter. And we'll see in the first couple of weeks where that makes our time frame fall. Going to take away a couple of plays. I understand that. But still, I think that if the if the game time gets where we want it to be, I think it will be a good change. And then we're going to adopt the what everybody asks about it. Everybody, maybe the you go on you go on the social media and the rule everybody hates. Why, if you fumble the ball at the 10-yard line and it goes out of bounds at the 8, you bring the ball back at the 10. But if you fumble the ball at the 2 and it goes out of bounds in the end zone, you lose the ball. It's inconsistent. You should get the ball back at the spot of the fumble. So we're listening to the fans and we're listening to the critics. So a forward fumble into and out of bounds in the end zone will go back to the spot of the fumble and the offense will keep the ball. Um, and it will be interesting to see 
you know, what kind of um, comment that we end end up getting from, um, you know, from the the people that are watching our game. But again, I, I think that's another rule change that makes a certain amount of spent a, a sense, especially when everybody likes offense. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're keeping the ball a little bit, but you know, other than that, I mean, really everything is, 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 is pretty good. We, we're going to try to stay away from, as you recall, we changed some rules during the season. Um, and we, we liked that we could do that in year one. We're going to try not to do that this year. I mean, we, we figure that we are, um, good at where we are. We're going to make one slight adjustment to the kickoff. I mean, we like kickoff returns. 81% of our kickoffs were returned last year, kicking off kicking off from the 25. Well, we want to get it to 90. So we're going to kick off from the 20. So we, we are likely to push that number up toward 90% of kickoffs being returned, which we put in elements to keep it safe. I mean, we don't let the kicking team recover the ball beyond if it goes beyond 20 yards. Kicking team can't get a head start. Defensive receiving team has to put a minimum of nine guys in what we call a setup zone. We didn't have too many injuries last year. If we did, we wouldn't have gone forward with this. But we think with these formational adjustments that were good in that area. So um we're we're excited and for me i mean i I am the replay center um Mm -hmm. we will have the replay center in los angeles uh again and so um i kind of look at it and think of it from the nfl perspective to this you know to me the nfl thing is with me right now i'm commenting on what others have done and now when it gets into the usfl i'm doing it and others will be commenting on what i'm doing so um, I'll take more flack probably, but it was, it's been, it was a lot of fun and it's the first spring league I've been involved with that has gone longer than one year. Yes. So I'm, re- I'm really excited about that. Yes. In the final 15 seconds, you are the one who has reviewed roughing the passer. I watched multiple games where you did that. You took the flag back. How easy is that compared to whenever the NFL tried to review defensive pass interference? Um, I, I think it, it certainly is easier, but I think it would be harder on the NFL side than it is in what we do in okay. the USFL because they give more protection even to the quarterback than we are going to give them. So it would be hard on the NFL, I think, to review roughing the passer, but for us, not as difficult. That crushes our dreams, Chad. Yes. Yes. But I my know, dreams are now revived with that rule change with the fumble into the end zone. Yep. So great job. See, there you go. Now we'll yeah. see if the NFL now will follow good. that up. Yeah. They'll be watching, that's for sure, on all these rules adjustments from the USFL. Mike, thank you so much for uh, for joining us. Great perspective, as always. We love having you. You're welcome. Good to be with you. Yeah. Mike Pereira, USFL head of officiating, and he is the rules analyst, the guy for Fox Sports, and uh, he'll have plenty of coverage for Super Bowl 57. It's always amazing to me that people want to be officials. So I applaud a lot of them, especially at the youth level, high school level, people that want to do it. We we need to do a a better job at sometimes applauding them for actually wanting to go out there and do it. It is not a fun job. There's a lot of things Mm -hmm. in sports I look at and say, why wouldn't you want to do this? (laughs) Whether it be a job in sports, right? Man, that just looks like a lot of fun. On the weekends, spending my Saturday or or you know entire day 
refereeing youth basketball does not look fun to me. And I'm as big a sports fan as you can find. So I think important what Mike was saying about what he's doing to try to get people in football officiating at a younger age and even people that are older to be a part of it. It's a problem. It's, it's, it's becoming a bigger problem, too. Well, and it, you have to deal with parents, and you have to deal with gamblers on any level. Uh, if it's not parents, it's gamblers. Uh, speaking of parents, there's got to be a parent that's upset with our next story, a six-year-old, and what happened on an, on an app. Live it. Maybe you can relate. I don't, I don't know. That's next on Outkick 360. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Chad, a six-year-old ordered himself a Grubhub uh, delivery. A thousand-dollar order according to M Live <laughs> in Michigan. So, Chesterfield, Michigan. His dad, Keith Stonehouse. Great name, Keith. Keith, Cre- Keith Stonehouse. Stonehouse. Keith Stonehouse sounds like a made-up anchor name in Anchorman. Yes, or a betting expert. Wes Mantooth. You can play this game as if it's already been played. Your Stone Cold Lock with Keith Stonehouse. Stonehouse. Get stoned with Stonehouse. We've got the Super Bowl like it's already been played. His uh, mom was catching a movie with friends, and the six-year-old ordered $1,000 on the app. That your thoughts is, uh, as a father of t- a terrifying a child around the same age. Terrifying. Also, you cannot give your children, especially of this age, access to a phone ordering device in any way. So, uh, my daughter multiple delivery drivers. By the way, my daughters they have a tablet, and on that they have like Amazon Prime, but it's set up to only their kid stuff, and they have games oh. they can access. <laughs> but it, there's a stop. Like there's an automatic stop. They'll go to something. And it's like to play this game, it's three ninety nine or whatever, and they have to go to us and say, you know, can we play this? And the answer is always no. <laughs> We're not paying for any games. You get plenty of free games with the services that we already pay for, also. So you're going to play those games. I would be furious, Hutton, if this happened to me. But also, I don't think I'm going to put myself in that situation where they're going to be on a phone where they can order something. Well, he grabbed the kid grabbed his dad's phone. And so he had the app. So they ordered, let's see, jumbo shrimp, five orders of that, chili cheese fries, ice cream salads. Um, that's ice cream and salads. Uh, grape leaves. Ice cream salad grape sounds kind of like the best of a, a couple of different worlds. So uh, I don't know about that. We can make that work. Uh, rice and, and much more. It took multiple delivery drivers to courier that food to the Stonehouse residence. Amazing. And I had a, a terrible realization last night as we look at all this food that was ordered. Yes. Uh, I would be furious about that. But something that didn't make me furious, but I just kind of had to gasp when I thought about this last night. So as I'm laying on the couch, shivering, in between sweating and shivering <laughs> with a, with a uh, fever, um, I go and send out the group text because I now have my roster for my softball team. Nice. That I'm coaching to my daughter. So I get all the parents on a group text. Like, this is something I can do while I'm sitting here. Send out the welcome group text. Hey, welcome to the Red Sox. We got eight of you coming back. We got four new girls. Look forward to meeting all of you. And kind of get the group text going that way. And then um, as I'm sitting there, I'm reminded of something that my wife Angie told me before. That 
you realize you're going to have to coach Lucy now, too, since you coached Evie. And Hutton, when that realization sunk in, this was a real, real trying time for me because my three-and-a-half-year-old, I'm thinking, we're, I've not even thought about her playing a sport yet because Evie goes from tap dance to modern dance I know. to basketball to softball to piano all the time, and I'm thinking... We are about six months away if we put Lucy on the same path Times two. to her playing soccer you know, at four years old. And I cannot wrap my mind around that right now. So at some point, I'm going to have to choose. I'm either going to coach Lucy or Evie and then maybe miss the other one's games while the I'm coaching the other one. Made. I mean, You're, hey, I, I have a prediction. You're going to go to the winning team. <laughs> yeah. I let the teams decide which one I coach. Yeah. I'll just tell each each head coach, which will really be my assistant. If you win the first couple of games, I may jump on. Yeah, I'm like Sean I'll, Payton. I can really kind of suss this out, and then we'll see where I want to. Oh, go Oh, you know, coach. I take that back though. Yeah, you will go. You will allow if, if the assistant coach wins, you'll be cool with it. Oh if yeah. You, if if the other team is losing because That's of uh, you know you need a a, a defense. Well, or, if I see poor leadership. Or with the other coach, that's I'll, where I'll if step If you need in. a great pitcher, Chad Withrow is, is your guy, as your coach. I'll be like a policeman commandeering a vehicle. <laughs> I'll just mid-practice after an 0-3 start the come Grand out Theft and Auto. say, okay, I'm running this team now. You need to go sit on the side. It's like when Gene Hackman shows up in Hoosiers and the, the, towns, the, the guy from the town just coaching the team and he steps out there and you know, tells him to hand over his whistle that he's the coach now, that's going to be me with this view sports experience. I thought you were going to say the realization that you had to make two trips – for apparel to get the baseball bat and all that stuff. Well, you're going to keep everything around, right? All of practice will starts hand me downs. Practice starts next week, and you know, for those that unfamiliar, the way The Last of Us is unfamiliar with geography, for those unfamiliar with weather patterns, you know, early February in Nashville is pretty cold. Mm-hmm. Um, so, case just, in point today, yeah, getting getting practices in outdoors. I mean, it, it forces you. We can rent out some indoor facilities. I've often said the reason why I grew up hating soccer is because the first year I played it for Super Mario Brothers when I was five, it was freezing. And you're out there with your uniform, which is a short sleeve shirt and shorts. And so I hated it. Hunt <laughs> it was never freeze. the same since. I wasn't. Won't, won't watch a single second of the World Cup. Just the because NFL will not be the same experience. either because Brady has retired. And guess what Sean Payton said that's next? <laughs> 